40 odd years later or something like that, I still don't know what Kerrigan is. What distinguishes you is not your tool, but the question. When you have a, your father on TV. I'm passionate about what I do, so it's not, it's not hard. But it was easy in the early days because was, everything was new. Let me tell you, you deliver cookies on a stick and one of your deliveries is your high school girlfriend, you quickly find out what you want to do in your life. Hello and welcome to Biomarkers, the audio series that archives the oral history of organic geochemistry. I'm your host, Fatima Hussein, and I'm here today with my series co-creators and fellow organic geochemists, Angel Maharo and Juliana Drozd. Hey, Fatima. Hello. So for today's episode, we spoke with Stuart Wakeham, Professor Emeritus at the Skateaway Institute of Oceanography. In our conversation, Stuart covered how he got into organic geochemistry, his experiences in research, and his insight on making career decisions. Let's dive in. Okay, my name is Stuart Wakeham. I've uh, been a, an organic geochemist uh, since the uh, mid-70s. That makes me really old. Uh, when I was in graduate school, uh, I went to uh, the University of Washington for my PhD in the oceanography department. Well, actually, I got my degree in the chemistry department, but I wiggled my way into the oceanography department and did all my work down there, took classes down there. I went to Switzerland to the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology uh, for two years. Uh, then I went to Woods Hole for nine years. Then I went to Skidaway Institute of Oceanography. Uh, and... Uh, about 10 years ago, I officially retired, although my wife says, aren't you retired? Why are you still you know, going to places and going to meetings and talking to students and making them write papers and so forth and so on? Now I live in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, you can see the pine fir trees out the back window. Uh, we live uh, on Bainbridge Island, which is uh, a, a, an island across Puget Sound from Seattle. And uh, we love it here. We asked Stuart how he got into the organic geochemistry discipline. Well, uh, when I was in high school, I already knew that I wanted to major in chemistry somehow because, among other things, my father was a chemist and so I was exposed early on. When I went to college, I went with the idea that I wanted to major in chemistry. And then when I went to graduate school, I had the idea that I wanted to apply the chemistry to some sort of oceanographic processes. And uh, so the first couple of years in graduate school, I spent time doing inorganic geochemistry and manganese nodules, which I decided after two years is not what I wanted to do for the rest of my career. And so at that point, I switched over to organic geochemistry. Uh, that work actually was in lakes. And uh, then I didn't actually become an, a, a marine organic geochemist until sometimes later when I went to Woods Hole. So that's kind of how it worked. We followed up by asking Stuart about his time in Woods Hole. Well, so I came to Woods Hole from two years of postdoc in Switzerland. And there I learned all kinds of, you know, analytical uh, techniques, in particular the glass capillary columns. You've probably never used a glass capillary column, but that was the old days between packed columns and these nice few silica ones that you can bend. So I learned how to do that uh, when I was in Switzerland. And then when I went to Woods Hole, I uh, actually started a lot of my work early on was looking at volatile organic compounds in seawater. Uh, because that was something, one of two things that I did on my postdoc, one was polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons and sediments, which was a continuation of what I had done 
for my PhD dissertation. And then I also got interested in these volatile organic compounds and nobody was really doing that. So I started doing that at Woods Hole. Uh, when I got there, there were four organic geochemists uh, and uh, you know, we sort of each did our own little thing. After a couple of years of co collaborating, we started working together on particulate matter sediment traps in particular. And so somewhere along the line, I switched from the, the volatiles, although I did that for, for a few more years, and uh, we had this cadre of, of four scientific staff members who were working on different aspects of particulate matter. And that was you know, pretty early in that game too, because Suze Hanjo in the geology department was just, uh, just starting to get you know, going in you know, his giant sediment traps. And so we got access to particles. And then you know, each of the four of us collaborated, but we, we sort of carved out our own little niche of you know, our favorite compounds to analyze so we could measure a large, you know, much larger group of, of lipids, well, amino acids too, in the case, case of Cindy. Throughout its history, Woods Hole has hosted illustrious cohorts of all sorts of marine scientists, including organic geochemists. It was, it was pretty exciting. And, uh, you know, we all got a lot done together. Oh, well, by then I was pretty sure that I wanted to do organic geochemistry of some sort in the ocean. And, uh, I never really did, I've never really worked too much in sediments. And so again, this whole business about, you know, the organic distributions of compounds in the water column and, you know, for lipids, it's pretty much the particulate phase. There's not that much in the dissolved phase. And so, you know, that was an open field. Nobody was really doing it very much. And uh, it became sort of the thing. And I mean, what really changed over the career was sort of what, I was targeting, you know, to do these lipid work, lipid to do this lipid work on. Some of it was suspended particles. Uh, once we developed some way to collect them, some of it was in sinking particles. My view was that, you know, the water column ended sort of at the sediment water interface. You know, not the typical, uh, even not the typical organic geochemist view of of some, you know, years ago. Things started at the sediment water interface and went down because you were looking at sediments as a record, you know, that you could reinterpret, you know, past environments. Well, from my perspective, what was happening was in the water column. And once it got to the sediments, it sort of became somebody else's domain. And I never really got too much into the, you know, long-term uh, diagenesis or petroleum, you know, maturation and generation of that. But you know, about the time I got to Woods Hole, I started doing this marine organic geochemistry. It was a new field and uh, it sort of took off and I did it ever since, you know, targeting different aspects of it. After completing his work at Woods Hole, Stewart joined the Skidaway Institute of Oceanography, a marine science research institute on Skidaway Island near Savannah, Georgia. There, he conducted his studies in a very different type of research environment and set the stage for a lifetime of collaboration. The other thing that happened was once I left Woods Hole and got to Skidaway, Skidaway is a much, much smaller place. There are fewer people at Skidaway Institute all total than there were in the chemistry department at Woods Hole. Uh, and I was the only organic geochemist. And I had a much smaller lab. I had a lab of myself and one or two uh, uh, technical people. Skidaway didn't have a huge cadre of students, even though technically we were part of the university system of Georgia and could have students from UGA or Georgia Tech, and we had a few. Uh, but actually rounding them up to come down to 
Skidaway was hard. You know, MIT to Woods Hole is an hour and a half. Athens or, or Atlanta to Skidaway was four or five hours. And so you didn't have people commuting back and forth. And so we didn't, as faculty members, we could teach. We were on the faculties at these two, you know, these institutions. And we could go up there and teach, but you know, in practice, it wasn't a very viable situation. So I was the organic geochemist. Uh, I had a small group. I had a small lab. Uh, I had a smaller funding base. And what really happened was in order to be productive, and I think it's worked out really well and I've enjoyed it, is that I've sort of fired my samples out to anybody who would like to see them. And so we had at the point, you know, unique samples. There weren't too many people collecting sediment trapper samples. There weren't too many people collecting particulate samples. Uh, and uh, I could provide, you know, splits of samples to people who had instrumentation, which I didn't have. And so that then developed into collaborations uh, all over the place. And, uh, you know, I took advantage of, of expertise and analytical instrumentation at these different places. And that developed into a really nice uh, collaborative and interactive, uh, you know, system and that involves students and postdocs and you know the senior faculty members so there were students you know whose committees I were on uh, and not necessarily as the major advisor but you know played a, a made you know a significant role in in the students and in the postdocs so I never really to, to be honest with you never really had any students of my own at Woods Hole but I can list a bunch of students that I've interacted with, you know, uh, in various European and South American, you know, places. And same with, you know, postdocs and, and faculty members. I did, was, you know, what, it was not as hard to get postdocs from my lab than as it was to get graduate students. So I had a number of postdocs, some of whom you've heard the names of, Kate Freeman, Rich Pankost, John Hayes in one of his, uh, Days actually spent and came a couple of weeks working in my lab learning techniques. So what I, so what I also did was I, you know, in addition to being able to provide samples, I, you know, invited lots of different people to come over to my lab uh, to learn how to do the kinds of lipid analyses that they wanted to do, and then that they would do either dissertation-wise or or later on. So so that's how this, you know, going everywhere doing things with lots of people worked out. It was it, it was pretty much by necessity to keep, uh, you know, keep up a, an active research program in the absence of, you know, a huge infrastructure of my own place. I mean, you have to decide early on in your career, you know, how much, if you think you want to, most people probably don't know whether they want to get into administration later on. I knew I didn't. I was at a place where I didn't have to. Uh, and so not having a lot of students also, and not having a lot of committee work also, uh, at a small institute, I got to spend time in the lab. And so, you know, as opposed to some people, I'm sure you know, no names uh, mentioned, I didn't ever want to become an administrator. I never wanted to become a chairman of a department or anything. I never looked for jobs like that. Uh, I was happy doing my own lab work. I mean, that's what I really loved doing. We also asked Stuart about his experiences collaborating with other scientists throughout his career. I got to work with a lot of bunch of a lot of bunch a lot of different people, and uh, they were you know really helpful in in uh, developing where the research would go, and so there's really you know there's papers on isotopes, there's papers on uh, lipids, there's papers on oxygen and minimum zones, 
There's papers with microbiologists. I mean, in some respects, those are the most fun because that's really the trend that's, that's really driving marine organic geochemistry now, at least from my perspective in the water column, maybe a little biased perspective. But, you know, a lot of this, uh, um, you know, organic biogeochemistry in the water column and in the surf and in the sediments, of course, is driven by microbial processes. And, and I'm not a trained microbiologist and I've got to work with microbiologists. And so in some respects, bringing all these people together to do our, you know, microbiology and our various lipids and, you know, different lipid classes and the physical oceanography, that's, that's kind of the most fun rather than just saying, well, here's lipid class A and particle samples A, B, and C. I mean, that's important, but it's not as, it's, it, it doesn't really draw things together as much as, uh, and so that kind of thing is, is fun to do. But again, picking out my, you know, my most favorite paper, I don't, well, again, it's, you know, like I say, I'm not trained as a microbiologist. If you were at a place like uh, Hui or, or the University of Washington, where I came from, and I've worked, you know, worked with them a lot, you've got microbiologists and, and you know, and, you know, high power analytical chemists next door, you just go next door. I didn't have that. Uh, so I had to, you know, spread my tentacles, if you will, a little further. And it's worked, you know, quite well. I'm really, you know, pleased with how that worked. And people are very, you know, responsive and receptive to, to uh, collaborating. I mentioned to Stuart that his career in research decision-making and reasoning seemed very strategic. And so obviously I had to ask him for advice to those of us graduate students listening. I, I'm assuming that uh, your your graduate graduate training is quite multi or cross-disciplinary, much more so than mine ever was. So I had to learn all these things, you know, the microbiology side. And again, I'm not a microbiologist. I had to learn that, you know, after the fact or rely on somebody else to teach me the nitty gritty. And so the key thing I think is, you know, to, to keep an open mind about, you know, this, this cross-disciplinary thing and think about it before, you know, you come up with your project rather than, you know, after the fact saying, oh, wow, we should have measured this, or oh, wow, we should have had a physical oceanographer involved, you know, to help us do the modeling, because you can never go back and, uh, well, you can, but it's very difficult to go back and, and uh, you know, match these things up again. And so, so I think that's something that's really important, uh, uh, and, and sort of, you know, figure out who you might want to work with or, 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 or what you want to do. You know, it's in the old days, we all sort of picked our uh, favorite compound class and followed that through. And, and uh, that's no longer the, the way anymore. And so many papers now, you know, uh, the student and, and his or her colleagues are off measuring many different things uh, in, a, in an integrated and coordinated way uh, to, to make, a, again, a multidisciplinary package story. Whereas, you know, in the old days, we'd go out and collect particle samples somewhere, for example, and we'd measure our favorite lipid class or, or whatever class, and we'd get, you know, somebody at the, the, somewhere else to measure something else and somebody else to measure something else. And then, you know, you'd throw all this stuff together and find out what you should have measured all along that you didn't and you couldn't because the samples don't exist anymore. So, so that's kind of my, uh, my feeling is, you know, think much you have the opportunity to think much more broadly than we did in, in the past. Let's put it that way. <laughs> it's 
Stewart continued by talking about his experience with the concept of flexibility in science. And he led into his thoughts on the qualities that good organic geochemists have. Well, you know, you're, you're, you're focusing in on something, but later on you're going to have the opportunity to, you know, to change what you want to do. You don't have to, whatever you're doing now, you don't have to do forever. I mean, I certainly pretty much stopped measuring polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons after one year of my two-year postdoc, although, you know, every once in a while they, they come back to haunt me. And, uh, and, you know, you can measure them again with new techniques and learn new things about that. Uh, I didn't do too much isotope work for my dissertation. Uh, and it's really important to do. And so, you know, lots of times, again, I didn't have an isotope ratio GCMS, uh, but I knew people who did and who, uh, you know, I mean, one of, you know, Kate Freeman, for example, was a postdoc in my lab and that opened up once she got to Penn State, all kinds of opportunities to, you know, weasel my way into uh, doing things. And so I went to Penn State several times. I sent several people to Penn State and we analyzed things together. Sometimes the instrument didn't work when we showed up. Hey, that's the way it works or doesn't work. And uh, so, you know, so there's that. And, and some things that I did, I used to do, I spent several years doing the volatile organic compounds. And, I, you know, I decided after a while, volatiles on one hand and, and you know, lipids and particulates or sediments on the air, that's, that's too much for any mind that, of my caliber, you know, to stay on top of. You can't even stay on top of, you know, organic geochemistry without worrying about the little compounds dissolved in the water column. So that went away, it got replaced by dimethyl sulfide for a few years. Uh, and again, that was too hard to juggle those two things. So, you know, you, again, you, so you start on something, you don't, you're not locked in. That's the other thing is don't, don't get locked in. Well, I was trained as an analytical chemist, basically. And so, so to me, uh, you know, being able to do uh, good analytical chemistry was a, was a big driver. And so again, early on, I, my strategy was to uh, take developing and, you know, new analytical techniques and apply them to questions in, in, you know, in marine geochemistry. Well, that's a given now you do that because you have to do that. But back again, a few years ago, uh, when some of these techniques were just coming on board or being refined, it was much more of a thing to do. So, uh, you know, you need to do that. Uh, and again, you, you need to keep this, this broad base for, you know, learning or being exposed to uh, other aspects of the field. Stuart closed our conversation with a reflection on his research career. To finish up, if we were at that stage, I'll have to say that, you know, by and large, I really enjoyed doing this kind of work. Uh, again, maybe it's because I wasn't, you know, stuck into, in a classroom the whole time, which would not have been my preference. But when I did it, I enjoyed it. I mean, I did do some teaching. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was great fun. To, to travel around and see different places, different things, different people, different labs, different, you know, regimes for, for science. And that was fun. And so, you know, I'd have to say overall, it was, you know, an enjoyable career. There were, you know, only a few times of drudgery, like writing proposals. And there it is, folks. Thanks so much for joining us today, and a sincere thank you to Dr. Stuart Wakeham for speaking with us and for sharing his wonderful, cogent insights. And now for a special message. Hi, I'm Jerome Blewett, 
And I'm Farid Abraham, talking to you from the Organic Geochemistry Unit at the University of Bristol. If you're enjoying the Biomarkers podcast and would like to stay up to date with all of our upcoming episodes, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Next time, we'll speak with Susan Gaines, the author of Carbon Dreams and co-author of the organic geochemistry staple, Echoes of Life. To tune into our work so far, go to summons.mit.edu backslash biomarkers podcast. Biomarkers is produced in the Summons Lab at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology.